his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, Mom and Dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Book Squad Goals is proud to be an affiliate for the 2019 Refresh Weekly Planner by Workspacery. Planning time to record a podcast around four working women's schedules is tough. That's why we need the right tools to keep us on time and up to date. Featuring a beautiful minimalist design, dual weekly layout with task organization, and a goal planning section, the 2019 Refresh Weekly Planner has everything you need to keep you organized and inspired in the coming year. Check out our affiliate link in the show notes to get yours today. going guys you know this is how we're starting i'm sick so apologies i feel like also been ill everyone but me is sick right now in the world and mary's not here and mary's not here because mary has family obligations because you know it's the holidays and we have a guest but she's mute right now and forever but she's listening <laughs> quietly. We have a live audience today. <laughs> <laughs> live studio audience. This is audience. our first live episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's our it's live a episode. Big deal. <laughs> this um, episode of Book Squad Goals was recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I don't know how much of that you're going to leave in. I'm leaving all of it. No one's going to understand, but we do have, like, one person listening, so, yeah. She was going to record with us, but it wasn't working out. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. So we have three people here. Um, And just so that you get to know us and our voices, we always do an intro question if you're new here. That's what we do. Um, And my intro question for this episode is... <laughs> Hang on with me here. I had a hard time figuring out how to phrase this. So we're talking about Girls from Brighter by Shobra Rao. And my question is, so in the book, Purnima is able to find Savita because Guru mentions that he had a girl who asked for banana in her yogurt rice. And that's something Savita really liked that was kind of like weird and kind of signature her. Um, especially the banana. So what meal or food would people be able to identify you by, you know, if you were like on the run or whatever? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can go first. All right, Susan. Yes, this is Susan. Um, I'm going to have to say assorted cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> um. My favorite thing ever to eat is just, like, a cheese platter with 
various crackers and mm. things to put the cheese on. Mm. Uh, like even at work on an almost daily basis where we just have random sliced cheese, I'll make myself a little cheese plate with like Triscuits and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, you have cheese at work? Like on the rig? Oh, we have like a fully stocked kitchen like we get a grocery order on mondays and so what there's the fuck? cheese in the fridge what the always. hell this is what I privilege eat, looks like i eat 90 percent of the office's cheese supply though i would say so and i, I love picnics and that's why because i like to just like bring a bunch of cheeses and crackers <laughs> so yeah. yeah i'm gonna say assorted cheeses everyone out there looking for a job uh who wants assorted cheese I would recommend <laughs> not working in publishing because you don't get shit ever. We have, like, sandwich sliced cheese at work. We don't have, like, fancy cheese. <laughs> you, It's but cheese, I though. still will make a cheese plate out of that is what I'm saying. Grad school is really great if you want free pizza once a semester. Yeah, that's, like, the same <laughs> so as true. publishing. So. And then to just starve the rest of the time. Yeah, you won't have any money to eat. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is writing in to tell us that she gets all the snacks. Hashtag overfed. Uh, <laughs> this oh is God. our live audience writing in. Our live audience works on sets all day. She's live tweeting She all gets the time. all the snacks at work because she works. She gets, like, uh, fancy as, catered food. Yeah. She gets, like, the whole, like, snack tray at, as, as a big deal movie girl. That's, that's big her official title on her business card. It says big deal movie girl. <laughs> guys just to be clear um in case you're not following what the fuck we're talking about our guest elizabeth was having technical difficulties so she's not technically recording this episode with us but she is listening so she just is like messaging us things that she wants to add <laughs> into the conversation so that's what we mean when we say we have a live studio audience just so you're not like yes. what the hell are they talking about her name is elizabeth you've seen her before or you've heard her before <laughs> um, in our very special sexy episode about sex episode about Fifty Shades, she's back, and she also sent in a little message for us on our last other. She side. did. Um, she says this is a different kind of sexy, sort of. Oof, <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. So this is Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hello. Hey. My food would be. Tortellini. Wow. Yeah. I kind of choked when I said that, so I'm going to say it again. Okay. Tortellini. Wow, that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> specifically, <laughs> specifically, I think it's butoni. Okay. Or buitoni. Butoni. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that because my mom always used to get that, and that would be like our fun dinner that we would have on like Fridays or whatever. Mm-hmm. And. And to this day, it is, like, my comfort food, and I always, like, buy it and eat it on, like, a night when I'm, like, I'm having a shitty day. Like, I just want to, like, relax. I'm going to get some tortellini. And, like, whenever I <laughs> whenever I have it in my apartment, Justine's, like, my roommate Justine is, like, oh, tortellini. Like, that always makes me think of you. <laughs> so- <laughs> So if Justine's ever looking for you and someone's like, this bitch keeps asking for tortellini, she'll be like, it's Kelly. Yeah. Exactly. She'll be like, that's the one I'm looking for. <laughs> that's it. Um, so this is Emily. I feel like me, I, I checked with Elizabeth, you know, our consultant and live audience on this one. Um, and she said it was okay for me to say. Um, 
I feel like it's kind of cheating because it's not food, but it, I feel like if anybody was going to associate me with anything. I think I know what it is. Okay, you say. Is it iced coffee? Yes. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> See? <laughs> I always have iced coffee. It's like how I deal with the world. Um, and also, so like I think people think that I just drink five iced coffees a day, but actually it just takes me like five hours to drink one iced coffee. So I'm just carrying around iced coffee with me all day. I'm kind of like um, Nancy from Weeds. I don't know if you ever watched that show, but she always has iced coffee. And I'm like, that's me. I'm basically her, except I don't sell drugs. But the iced coffee thing, we're the same. Also, I don't like to think that I'm that terrible of a person. She's awful. I haven't watched it. But yes, iced coffee, specifically iced coffee with just a little bit of soy milk and no sugar. And like, they know my order at every coffee shop I've ever been to because, you know, that's all I get. (laughs) All year round iced coffee. Um, Elizabeth, do you want to write in an answer real fast? Yeah, come in here. Come in here and say, hey. You know, I guess I don't really have one telltale thing, but something my friend noticed the other day was I do tend to eat. If I'm have if I have like a lemon wedge or a lime wedge, I will eat it like every time. Sometimes I'll actually eat the rind if it's a lemon. I know that's a little crazy. Oh my but God. That's weird. It's kind of a crumb trail of like actually eating the, <laughs> the oh, actually the eating the lemon or the lime out of the the thing. Mm. And my friend called me out on that. I guess that is that weird. I don't know. She thought um, it was weird. I don't think it's weird to eat lemon or lime. I think it's weird to eat the rind though. Like the lemon, the I, lime rind is too is too tough. I have I had somebody tell me that once when I was younger. It actually like eating the whole thing if it's a thin slice, kind of ha- you get a little bit of the lemon oil, you get a little bit of the bitter pith, and then you get the sour. That's a little crazy, but I guess uh, I don't know. Actually eating the lemon garnish, that would be mm-hmm. the garnish would be eaten. That would be my crumb trail. Thank you from our live <laughs> studio audience. <laughs> I'll just have you come in here every now and then when we have questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Elizabeth. That's our live studio audience, guys. This is such a special episode. Um, it's a special episode because Elizabeth's here, but it's also a special episode because we're talking about, um, as I said, Girls Burn Brighter by Shobarau. I have a summary here. It's from Goodreads. So if you hate it, um, that's why. Um, here we go. <laughs> a searing, electrifying debut novel set in India and America about a once-in-a-lifetime friendship between two girls who are driven apart but never stop trying to find one another again. When Pornima first meets Savitha, she feels something she thought she lost for good when her mother died. Hope. Pornima's father hires Savitha to work one of their sari looms, and the two girls are quickly drawn to one another. Savata is even more impoverished than Pornima, but she is full of passion and energy. She shows Pornima how to find beauty in a bolt of indigo cloth, a bowl of yogurt, rice, and bananas. That's her signature food. Um, the warmth of friendship. Suddenly, their Indian village doesn't feel quite so claustrophobic, and Pornima begins to imagine a life beyond the arranged marriage her father is desperate to lock down for her. But when a devastating act of cruelty drives Sarata away, Pornima leaves behind everything she has ever known to find her friend again. Her journey takes her into the darkest corners of India's underworld, 
on a harrowing cross-continental journey and eventually to an apartment complex in Seattle. Alternating between the girls' perspectives as they face relentless obstacles, Girls Burn Brighter introduces two heroines who never lose the hope that burns within them. In breathtaking prose, Shoba Rao tackles the most urgent issues facing women today. Domestic abuse, human trafficking, immigration, and feminism. At once a propulsive page-turner and a heart-wrenching meditation on friendship, Rao's debut novel is a literary tour de force. Um, okay, so that <laughs> is the book we are talking about today. Um, we're going to save our uh, ratings for the end, because that's kind of how we've decided to do things from now on. But before we get any further into this, I do want to warn everyone that we will be spoiling the book, as usual. Um, also... Trigger warnings for sexual violence, all in this book. A lot. And just a lot. general physical violence. <laughs> yes, physical violence, sexual violence, you know, just uh, domestic abuse, as it says in the actual description. Just, you know, it's a, it's a tough read in parts, if that stuff is tough for you, which, I mean, I think it's tough for most people. But I chose this book anyway. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, etc. Anyway, so I, I just titled this next part Thieves and Shit. I had a lot of thoughts. I'm going to start with grief, actually, because that's kind of how the book starts. So the story starts off with Pornima's mother dying. Um, and I, I kind of felt like that as a story point or storyline, like her grief kind of faded away as she developed this relationship with Sabata, Sabata. And, um, I don't know if like at the beginning of the novel, I guess is what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is like, it seemed like grief was going to be a big, uh, part of the novel. And then it seemed like, uh, it was mostly just sort of a vehicle to jumpstart this relationship between these two girls. Um, so it's, it feels kind of like weird to ask this, but what do you think the death of the mother added to the story or to Pornima's um, characterization? I think part of it was just like her longing for a close um, relationship with a woman. Yes. With another woman, which she finds obviously in Sabatha. Mm -hmm. And I think like that also sort of set Pornima up as this character who is very self-sufficient and sort of a leader in some ways because she kind mm -hmm. of takes on a lot of the responsibilities of her mother because her mom died. So it also just informs the person that she becomes. Yeah. That's kind of interesting, too, because – I was actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there is a part later on where she's like thinking back on the memories she has of her mother and she thinks, all of the memories I have of my mother are times when she's doing something for me or in service of somebody else, you know? And like, she's kind of, and that's kind of when she's coming to the realization that like, that's what womanhood has meant to her for her whole life is like serving other people or taking care of other people and like mm -hmm. questioning why why that is i guess mm -hmm. i don't know susan what do you think i just didn't really i i guess like I, I kind of just thought of it as i mean i agree with what kelly said but also it did just seem like the vehicle to start the 
to start the friendship. Um, I didn't really think about the mom like much after she was gone. Yeah. And except for connecting that one memory that she had of when she was brushing Pornima's hair and she like rests her hand on her head. Yeah. I, like I kind of looked for that type of moment to come back, I guess, but I, I, with Savita, but I didn't, I don't know. I guess I saw it more as just like a story starter. Yeah. On a mechanical level. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, I don't know. Like I, I was, I mean, maybe it's because I am like very interested in the theme of like grief that I, I was attaching to that at the beginning, maybe more than other people did. And then I missed it or like I wanted more of that, but I mean, she had a lot of shit going on, I guess. So, like, did she have time to miss her mom in between, like, you know, I don't know. getting abused by her husband and then, like, being sold into uh, prostitution, basically? I don't know. I guess her mom also, like, the absence is more noticeable when she lives with, when she moves in with her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, who is, like, the worst person on the planet. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, oh my God. the whole mother figure gets completely distorted and that evil person right okay i want to talk about the title why do you guys think it's called girls burn brighter and i know that like i feel like it comes in later where they talk about it a little bit more directly uh what is the significance of like fire and light in this book well first of all there's some fire on the book cover so (laughs) i really like the book cover i don't know how you feel kelly as like a book coverist i like it it's very simple (laughs) Cool. Um, Kelly likes it, so my feelings are legit. All right. Oh, also, I should probably say that this book was published by the parent company of the imprint that I work for. Yeah. So my thoughts and opinions are my own. Oh, um, yeah. Good job. Sorry. Good Forgot job you having your that. good job having your own thoughts and opinions, Kelly. Yes. So throughout, there is something that both characters keep coming back to, which is this idea that they have. Uh, like a light inside of them that is the thing that keeps them going Mm -hmm. um despite all of the horrible things that continue to happen to them and it's important for them to hold on to this light and not let it go out or you know be completely blocked because it's i guess like light can symbolize hope on a very basic level level but also if if light can symbolize hope, then, like, fire can symbolize, like, power and the anger that these women have over the things that have happened to them and the injustices that they endure on a daily basis. And, you know, the fire is continuously fueled by these things that happen to them and makes them stronger. And I think that saying girls burn brighter is kind of like we see in this book that it's just like a so many examples of how women suffer so much more than men (laughs) in certain societies in Mm -hmm. i mean let's be real like in most societies i mean like even there even (laughs) early on in the novel there are like microaggressions against them like when they're walking together and those boys are like oh which one do you want you know 
Like, yeah. and I feel like that's something, uh, or like, which is not, not even that micro. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, a, a course, like aggressive. An aggression <laughs> compared yeah. to like the other shit that happens, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, oh yeah. By comparison, super micro. But <laughs> but I mean, like that at least I think is something that like every single woman I know has had that type of interaction before. Yeah. yeah. You know. Well, and and these women are are raised in a system in which they are basically sold to whoever is going to be their husband. Like set up in these arranged marriages and there's like a trade that occurs from father to spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh and like that's something that that we as white women in the United States are lucky enough to have not experienced. Um, but this is something that happens in a lot of places. It just shows you how much, like, as much as we struggle as, as women currently and like where we are, there are women who are being treated like legitimate dirt, like who don't have any options. Basically, just I think women struggle a lot but because of their struggles perhaps are stronger than men <laughs> to sum up to sum the up women struggled in this book women um, are better than men no. um yeah. i want to say <laughs> another thing about the fire and the light and stuff um i think there's also an association between the fire and light and like youth or like that kind of one time where they're like semi carefree in the book as young teenagers. Um, and Pornima points this out too, like in one of her chapters and she like first goes into the brothel and she sees like girls who are younger than she is. And she says like, they've lost this. She can tell this light has gone out mm-hmm. and then, but there's a lot of talk about light in terms of kind of like girlhood and yes what is like i guess the happiest time they had even though it wasn't like a super happy time <laughs> yeah but light is like this un- unspeakable thing that keeps or like undefinable thing that keeps you young or keeps you attached to that youthful hope i mean like and that's mm-hmm. something that they bring up in the description is this idea of hope being central to um what they get from each other's friendship and also innocence like yes being a girl and a child a child before you know men take everything away from you <sighs> men fuck everything so. up they're the worst yes we hate men okay not hashtag not all men but like most men well i mean i'm only <laughs> referring to the men in this particular novel all men where in this all novel. of them are bad like literally all of them <laughs> Even yes. the kind of okay one is still bad. Yeah, the kind of okay one is still just like sort of like Brad Pitt in Twelve Years a Slave, where like it's like okay, you're doing all right for like a slave owner, but you're yeah. still right. a slave owner. So yeah, that's my reference. Hi, I don't Pitt. in real life think all men are bad. Of uh, course, I don't feel like that's a disclaimer. We actually need to say people no. should know that. <laughs> If you're a man listening to this right now, and I say men suck, I don't mean specifically you, okay? Yeah, stop taking shit so personally. It's not always about you. 
God yeah. damn. When someone <laughs> says white people do blah, 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 I'm like, yeah, they do. And I'm a white person. Yes, girl. Yes, girl. So Thank you. People need to chill the fuck out. They okay? do. They do. This is a good message anyway. that I stand behind. <laughs> chill the Exhibit fuck out. A, the men in this book needed to chill the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Stop sticking your dicks in people who don't want that shit. Okay? Seriously. All right. Or making people stick their parts in parts right. of you. Whew, girl. We're going to get uh, to that. All right. Yeah. I, but before we get into that, I do want to talk about sort of like sensory details in this book because I think for me, one of the things I really enjoyed about this book were the descriptions. I don't know how y'all felt. Um, and I know I've read some critiques of it that said that they felt like it was like too much. But I'm really sensitive to like overly descriptive things. Y'all know how I felt about that damn zucchini moon. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be my like hallmark, like bad description example. Um, but like, I felt like the descriptions in this, this novel were really well done. It was very descriptive, but never in a way that made it, made the novel slow down for me. Um, I felt like the descriptions told us a lot about the characters. For instance, I felt like, and, and I mean, tell me if I'm completely making this shit up, but it seemed to me like, um, Savata was really focused on, um, describing foods and tastes and smells. And Pornima was more about like sight and sound. And the place that I noticed this the most was where um, we have two separate chapters where they both come to America. And I noticed that when um, Sabatha comes to America, she notices how um, nothing, she can't smell anything in the airport. She's like, it doesn't smell like anything. And then when she is going through the apartment, she notices she's like each apartment has its own smell. And that's not really something that um, she noticed in India because all of the, the apartments, all the houses just kind of smell like the street smell. And then when Pornima comes, it seems like she's more focused on the fact that she can't hear certain things. And then she's looking at all the lights everywhere. Am, am I just like, crazy or did anyone else no, notice no, that? I think you're totally right. All no, right. You're not crazy. <laughs> All right. Cool. So, and Very I true. like, I, I think that, I mean, I think that happens throughout the novel. And I think especially we see like Sabata is so obsessed with food. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm just wondering like, what Same, do we think? Girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and you know, like that's probably something that works really well for me in this novel as well. Cause I just love a good food description. Like, describe food to me all yeah, day. Yeah, and they're not that easy to write. No, they're not. And neither is smell. No. So I find that, I find that really, I found those descriptions really great. But like, what do you, what do you think? Okay, so if we're not making this up and, um, Savata is more about taste and smell and Pornama is more about sight and sound, like, what does that tell us about them as characters that these are the things they focus on? I mean, I feel like with, um, taste and smell, because those are sort of more like, this isn't a good word for it, but like invasive. Yes. Things. <laughs> um, they're, they're sexier she, senses because they enter your body. Well, she just seems more like <laughs> she seems more sensual in general. Like yes. just like in, in touch with everything that's around her. And like when, even when she's eating, she's always talking about like savoring it and not, mm -hmm. you know, just like 
shoving this banana rice down her throat, but like, oh no, you don't want to have it all the time. You just want to experience it so that you don't forget about it. Like the way you don't want to see the sunset every day, I think is what she compares it to. I see her as a more kind of like vibrant, sensual experiencer of the world where Pornima, I mean, like to see stuff, you can sit back and observe and just see and not interact with it that much. That's- yeah, and I think Pornima is more of a a watcher and a planner, and Savitha is the person who's, like, a little bit mm-hmm. impulsive, is like, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing it now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. if, if you just look at the different ways that the two of them, like, travel to America, like, mm-hmm. Savitha's like, you want to cut off my arm? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> and Pornum was like, Pornum I'm going like, to quietly plan English for classes. three years. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Like, I didn't even think about that. Um, but yeah, she, like, Savitha shows up and she's like, I don't speak English. Like, I don't give a shit. Just cut off my hand. Here the fuck I am. And Pornum was like, yeah. I'm going to take English classes. I'm going to subtly drop hints. And then suddenly I'm going to be like, oh, I speak English. Send me over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so great. And yeah. also, well, just even like in the, the way that they both go into yeah, that's what I was gonna say. brothel situation is like, yeah, Pornima has been like quietly learning basic accounting yeah. for a yeah. while. And it's like, <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna like just lay low and do some accounting for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And like, Savitha, of course, gets like forcibly drugged and all of this but like she fights that through the entire thing like no matter how much they keep giving her drugs and keep like making her vomit and all of this she's like still kicking and screaming the whole time and they both in their own way they (laughs) both in their own way sort of like get guru to favor them you Mm -hmm. know and um Sabita does that through just like working really hard and being like, I'll fuck extra men so I can get some bananas. Like, come on, let's do yeah. this. You yeah. want my hand? Yeah. All right. Um, pretty intense. Yeah, that that's like, y'all, that was a great answer. I did not know what the answer to that was. Also, I agree with you though, in in that I think all of the sensory description is really effective and um I too can be sensitive to that. Yeah. Like overdone <laughs> stuff because sometimes I feel like um, kind of like when we talked about, um, Fates and Furies, it was like, oh, Lord. it felt like all language and no like movement. And I feel like yeah. this still always had forward motion. Yeah. This, this, like she's to still me, a, this moved really she's fast. still a storyteller that moves mm-hmm. stuff forward yeah. while not sacrificing that description, yeah. which is nice. It was a very good balance of the two things. And it was also like. I was never taken out of the story by a descriptor such as Zucchini Moon or whatever. Yeah. I was never like, wait, it's what? Always what is that moon. supposed to mean? We're always going right. to bring up Zucchini Moon. That's like a thing now. Yeah. Fuck. So thanks for that, Susan. You brought <laughs> Zucchini Moon into our lives, and I really appreciate it. I, I mean, I did just have a question, too. I mean, like, we kind of already answered this, but I was just like, Sarita is so obsessed with food, especially bananas, and like... We we kind of talked about. Are are you making that a sexy thing now? Like her obsession with bananas is that's what's happening? Like 
Because y'all are laughing at the bananas. No, no, no. I just, um, I was thinking, like, if you made a word cloud out of this book, like, banana would be the biggest word. Banana and then, like, yogurt rice. There's so much banana. Like, Yeah. She really likes bananas. And, like, the first thing she gets when she comes to America is, like, a bundle of bananas. And she's like, I've never had so many big, giant bananas in all my fucking life. This is amazing. And then everyone else is like, where do you get these goddamn bananas? I know. It's so funny because, like, I don't know, like, I feel like we think of bananas as, like, a cheaper fruit, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, to her, it's like, these are exotic, you know? I yeah. watched, uh, you should watch the drunk history on, like, how bananas started <laughs> getting sold in America. And it's, like, it's it's Thomas Middleditch, <laughs> like, playing the guy that's, like, that's I'm going to take these cheap-ass bananas and sell them for a bunch of money. So you should watch it. <laughs> I will. Elizabeth says... I was wondering if there was an intentional connection between the word Nana for Papa and the banana obsession. Oh, that's a good question. Interesting. Thanks a lot, no studio audience. Um, maybe. I mean, and you know, like banana, like I, I was joking about it, but bananas are kind of phallic. And if we're talking about her as like more of a kind of, like, yeah, kind of, <laughs> they're phallic. pretty fucking phallic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is not a more phallic fruit. Yeah. <laughs> That is the most phallic. Despite the fact that the most used emoji for dicks is eggplant. I'm really worried if your dick looks like an eggplant. I'm worried. Oh, get that away. <laughs> uh, we kind of, we didn't mention her father, but like she oh, yeah. has like an alcoholic father who is has begging issues. in the streets, basically. Yeah. yeah. Still, better, better father than Hornimus. Oh God, yeah. He's actually yeah, somehow not, that's still better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's not a bad no person. No, he's just right. an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that has ruined him basically. Yeah, I mean, we should we should talk about what happens with with Pornima's father, which kind of sets right. the whole separation yeah. in motion. Right. So if you haven't um, read the book. As was said in the summary, Pornima's father hires Savitha to help with the sari making. And basically, he one night comes in to the room and she's like there with Pornima and they've been up late preparing for Pornima's wedding. Um, and Pornima has fallen asleep and he comes into the room and just tell Savitha, like, come with me. And she follows him because she's like, this is my boss. Like, and yep. she didn't really, like, expect anything terrible to happen, but he rapes her. And after that, like, when that happens, Pornima wakes up because she can hear, like, the noise coming because Savitha is obviously, you know, fighting back. And she, like, runs to try to help. And it's, but it's already happened and it's over. And Savitha is, like, becomes, like, unresponsive, I guess, just for, like, a day or two days. Like, doesn't – won't speak, won't move. And it's, like, this whole controversy in the town. Like, all – like, everyone's freaking out. Obviously, it's a horrible thing that has happened. And then the fucking town decides that as his punishment, her father should have to marry Savitha. That's his his punishment for raping her. And when she finds out about that, uh, 
she, like, though she doesn't move or speak or anything, in in the night, one night, she just disappears. She, like, pieces the fuck out. Yeah, and when Portimo wakes no. up. Yeah, when Portimo wakes up, she's gone. Sabitha she says, gone. I'm not gonna be your stepmother, girl, bye. Yeah. <laughs> fuck <laughs> that. Yeah. So this is just the rape that kicks off All what turns rapes. out to be a, a, a lot of other rapes. Extravaganza. Yeah. <laughs> For everyone. Should we just then talk about the sexual violence? Let's just get into that now. I mean, it's impossible to talk about the rest of the book without talking about um, it. So there's a lot of sexual violence in this book. Um, what I found the most disturbing was the uh, nub fisting. I mean... It's, what could possibly be more disturbing than this? The uh, the other night, I was in, I was like in the middle, I had been reading this book on the train and I, I got to a bar where I was meeting my friends and I was like, I'm reading the most depressing book, you guys. And they were like, what, what's, what happens? And then I end up explaining in detail to them about this amputee nub anal penetration and all of them were just like, it does not say that. And so I flipped to the part where it is. And I and they were like, read it out loud. And I'm like, no, it's like not like funny. It's just like really depressing. No, it's not. It's not like, oh, my gosh, not this thing. It's like it's not like really, a crazy, like fun. Like she's traumatized book. by it and she vomits afterwards because it's it, like, like disturbs her so much. Yes. It's the most disturbing sex thing I have ever read. And it's not even that graphically described. It's just so horrible to think about. Yeah. That basically, uh, so in order to get to America, um, Savitha <laughs> agrees to have her hand amputated. Because, so it, it kind of, it, it's a weird thing because at first it's that she's going to get a lot of money for it because this dude. It's like into like, amputees. Wants, yeah is into amputees and specifically wants an amputee to have sex with. So she gets this done to get all of this money, but then it turns out that the dude changed his mind and he found someone else. Yeah, he, like, he said something like, I think he, he, he found someone without a leg or something, you know, which is yeah, better which than is someone like without a hand. which is, like, desirable you know? to him somehow. <laughs> so then she's like, well, fuck, like, I already got my fucking hand cut off. And then the the guy, Guru, is like, well, don't worry, because I found something else. We're going to send you to America because they're looking for people to clean. And she's like, I have one fucking hand. Like, you're going to send me to clean with my one hand? And then his response is, I told them you'd go twice as fast, which is the yeah. opposite of how that should go. No. Yeah. And it turns out that actually he needs someone who has some kind of medical issue because that's the way for them to get a visa to get to the United States um, to get, like, a supposed operation, but really she's already healed and she wears, like, a cast on top of her already healed nub so that people think that she's going to America to get surgery. But really she's just going to be made into a housekeeper slash kind of prostitute. Oh, my uh, so she gets it's to America. It's not funny. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because it's No, it's just like so fucking horrifying that you almost yeah. have to laugh because it's like I don't even know how to respond to the fact that this is could yeah. actually happen because it does happen. Yeah. Like it's horrible. But so she goes – She she gets to America and is working for this 
like housekeeping agency that is run by a man and his two sons. And they essentially just buy women from India to, and then use them as slaves, basically. Mm-hmm. So they have bought her and she arrives. And it turns out um, that dude in India wasn't the only one with an amputee fetish because one of the brothers also has an amputee fetish. Um, and he has her put her arm up his asshole. Well, he lives it up first. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. She, like, afterwards she tries to burn her arm because she's so, like, fucking disgusted. Yeah. (sighs) It's awful. Yeah. So that happens. Um, That's probably the most disturbing moment of sexual violence, although later on some men encounter her at a gas station and force her to shove her own arm down her throat, mm-hmm. uh, which is also horrifying. Yeah, I found that, like, very horrifying as well, even yeah. though, like, it sounds like in comparison it wouldn't be as horrible, yeah. but the description of it is so graphic. Yeah. yeah. It's like... And like really, very, really very sexual, even though it's like her own. Yeah. Nub. Like, cause yeah. they're like, put it in your mouth, you know? Well, yeah. Well, it's like when a dude is like, oh, like, you know, lick your finger. Like, can you yeah. fit your whole fist in your mouth? Yeah. Mm. Men are <laughs> disgusting. Men are the worst. Disgusting pigs. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, if you're into that kind of stuff, cool, but like, don't make someone do it. Yeah, be sure they're into it, too. You know, like, consent is great. It's a great thing. It's not optional. No. That should be the name of this episode. Consent is not optional. Speaking of consent and stuff, we should, I feel like we should also talk about Pornima's marriage. Yes. Um, so when they, after, so Savita runs away, Pornima goes to this other town that turns out to actually not be that far away, and... Um, gets married to a guy who also has a he has a physical deformity. He's missing some fingers on one hand, and this kind of becomes a big deal because later she says something about it, asks if it's genetic or not, and then that leads to some stuff. But anyway, yeah. So she marries this guy. He's awful, and his mother and sister are also awful and treat her terribly. He. I mean, rapes her every day, basically. And gets yeah. more and more violent with it as, like, Yeah, and the more that, like, the longer him. that her father goes without paying this other part of the dowry that he still owes them, the more violent the rape becomes, the, like, harsher her treatment is, and eventually, like, it culminates in her husband, Kishore, and his mother pouring or splashing hot oil on her face, and that is how she gets her physical Mm -hmm. deformity. Basically, the entire whichever side of her face is burned. Yeah, and part of, like, her neck and shoulder. Third-degree scar tissue burns. And you know what's awesome is the doctor... this is, like, a common thing, because people keep asking her, like, oh, was it oil or acid? And, like, was it your husband or your dad? Um, Right. 
That's what Elizabeth yes, was Elizabeth. just saying. Everyone she comes across acts like it's so commonplace and like... Yeah, and she says, she, of course, plays it off as an accident. And they're like, oh, yeah, it, it's always an accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Which is oh, is like this crazy. How, so this is how you get rid of your wife if you need mm-hmm. to get out of a marriage. Yeah, because then they're like, okay, well, you're going home now. Yeah. Obviously, it's not going to work out because now you're deformed, even though I'm already deformed, but... We can't have you being deformed. Well, and also when she goes to the doctor, the doctor's like, well, at least it didn't get your breasts because, like, men are normally, like, they're fine with it as long as, like, it's just from the neck up. As long as you've got nice tits, like, you're still good to go. I love that her thought was, I wish it would have also gotten my breasts then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Be cool if no one ever came near me again. Thanks. Um, yeah, so that situation is how she gets, like, kicked out of that house and then ends up working in the brothel. But, you know, like, thank God she got kicked out of the house. So that, like, that kind of goes into my next question, or one of my next questions is, like, and this is something that I found really interesting, is that, like, so both women end up disfigured in some way, um, which we've talked about. Um, and they also kind of learn this lesson. Hi, Penelope. Um, and they also learned this lesson very early on in life that their bodies are sort of like commodities that they can use to get things, but that also don't fully belong to them that sort of like belong to the men in their lives. Um, and then it seems like the, dis- their disfigurements change that for them in some ways. And like, it's, it's sort of like, as I was reading it, I kept thinking like, God, even if they get out of the situation, even if they become like completely free, They'll always have this, like, their bodies are changed because of, like, these men that control them, right? But then also, in a way, their disfigurements are also, like, what helped them break free. Yeah. Yeah. There is a part where, like, Pornima acknowledges that the basically the reason that she's, like, kind of protected while she's, like, working in sex trafficking is Mm -hmm. because... That makes her come across, like, her face being disfigured makes her come across as, like, harmless and kind of pathetic yes. and trustworthy. And that's how she's able like, to kind of guru, just keep surviving. Guru kind of, like, confides in her because, like, she's burned. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he doesn't feel, like, threatened by by her, like, appearances. But also it's, like, she's fucking burned for the rest of her life because of some shitty-ass dude mm-hmm. with fucking crazy-ass fingers. So I was really excited for her in that moment right before the like everything kind of blew up where Kishore's sister's marriage got called off because someone asked if his hand thing was a genetic thing and she's like oh well is it she was never afraid to talk back because she was also like they were like trying to call her Baron and she was like how do you know he's not Baron yeah like, yes I was like yes girl they're Never like, back so down. She's like genetic. <laughs> They're like, get the fuck out. We're about to burn you tomorrow. And then yeah. they do. But anyway, she had a she had a moment where it was like, yes, yeah. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. It fucking sucks that they're all disfigured and shit. But I guess like also it worked out for them. I guess that's my conclusion. I don't know. Yeah. Too bad. I wish Mary was here. I would be interested to hear her thoughts about this since she is our disabilities Yeah, from a disabilities expert. perspective. We'll have to ask her when she gets back from her family obligations. Yes. <sighs> family, what are you going to do? Mary, come back so we can ask you about physical disfigurement mm-hmm. at the hands of we need you. horrible people. Yes. Yeah. Hurry back. 
<laughs> this is way more fun than what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably, right? Um, I also want to talk about fear. So, and I think this is something that Pornomov focuses on a lot in her sections is this idea of like um, realizing that some of the things that she's been afraid of, like she kind of uses the... The cro- the elephant and the rain and the crow guarding the water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Being swallowed whole versus in pieces. And yeah. she, I don't know, like she kind of comes to the realization like that the things that she's been afraid of like aren't like the right, like she's been afraid of the wrong things or like that she doesn't need to be afraid. And like when she's, when she's going to come to America with that, the girl who has the like cleft lip. The girl mm-hmm. tells her, like, I'm afraid of you because of, like, her face. Oh, and, yeah. And she says, like, oh, you're afraid of the wrong things. So I don't know. Like, it just seems to me like a lot of her revelations later on in the book come with, like, a lot of her power comes from realizing, like, these things that she's been afraid of, she doesn't need to be afraid of anymore. Or, like, they're not mm-hmm. real. Um, And so, like, courage is really big to her. And so, like, I found it interesting when she... um she hears this, the love song of J.L. for Prufrock. She's like, I fucking hate this poem. You know? It's one of my all-time favorite poems. Oh, I know. I love it, too. <laughs> but I think, like, for me, like, I felt like the reason she hates the poem is because, like, you know, it's about this, like, fear. And she doesn't want to be a, She doesn't want to identify with fear. Yeah. So that's kind of, like, what I was thinking is that, like, she was rejecting the poem because she doesn't want to be afraid. Okay, wait, I found it. Okay, go. I'm going to read the paragraph because it's really beautiful, actually. Yes, I think. thank you. Okay, so uh, she's on the plane with this girl, and the girl, Pornima thinks that the girl is afraid of traveling, and she says, don't be afraid, I'll be there with you. And the girl says, but that's what I'm afraid of. What? Mm-hmm. You. Me? Your face, it scares me. I had a dream when I was little, and I saw a face just like yours. Pornima laughed out loud, and then she grew silent. She said, Madhavi, and then she stopped. Is that how you say it? Madhavi? Hopefully I'm saying it sort of right. She felt something rise inside of her, something bitter, something angry, and she spit out, you fool. She heard the girl back away from the door. You fool, she cried again, and heard the girl whimper. What a fool you are, she thought, fuming. What fools we all are. We girls. Afraid of the wrong things at the wrong times. Afraid of a burned face. When outside, outside waiting for you are fires you cannot imagine. Men holding matches up to your gasoline eyes. Flames, flames all around you. Licking at your just-born breasts, your just-blood body. And infernos, infernos as wide as the world. Waiting to impoverish you, make you ash. And even the wind, even the wind. Even the wind, my dear, she thought. Watching you burn, willing it, passing over you and through you, scattering you because you are a girl and because you are ash, and you're afraid of me. That's it. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, that is very lovely, but also, and I just remembered this part when you read it. Yes. (laughs) You know in Clue, (laughs) when Madeline Kahn is like, flames, (laughs) I'm glad my face. Oh my god! Oh, such a good movie. <laughs> that is like movie. my like top three favorite movies of all time. So yeah, I can't believe I didn't remember that passage because when I heard it, I was thinking flames, flames. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, <laughs> uh, you are so disrespectful right now. <laughs> I'm just teasing. 
I'm sorry. No. That is a really lovely... Mad respect to Clue, though. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. Anyway. Anyhow. Yeah, so, yeah, fear. That's the thing I wanted to talk about. And we talked about it. Great job talking about it. Um, Good job. I want to get into some critiques of the book before we get into our, our ratings. Um, because, you know, I really enjoyed this book. But when I really enjoy a book, I always like to, like, look at what people are saying sucks about it. Um, so one of the things I noticed on Goodreads that a lot of people had complaints about was the ending. Yeah. How'd y'all feel about the ending? I was a little disappointed just because yeah. I wanted I wanted to see them get reunited. Yeah. yeah. Like, I wanted that for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just to be clear uh, for people who didn't read the book, how it ends is like, um, they both kind of end up at this gas station, and we see this happen separately. And we kind of know that they're going to meet up, and, like, um, Pornima is, like... They're literally like, on two sides of a door. Yes. <laughs> Porno- this is the thing to me that bothered me. Like, it was less about, like, not getting to see them, and more like I felt this was a little heavy-handed. So Pornima is waiting at the door, and... Savita is on the other side of the door in the bathroom and she's like getting ready to come out of the door like we hear the door and so Mohan comes up to her and is like have you been waiting all this time and what he means is like have you been waiting to go to the bathroom this whole time like what's Mm -hmm. fucking taking so long but like as readers were like oh but what he really means is like you've been waiting all this time to see her you know And then, like, it starts to rain, and she's like, yes, but it's not very much longer now. And I just felt like that was a little, a little much. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mind it so much, but, I mean, now that I think about it, yeah, it is a little much. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know. You're like, I didn't think it was too much, but then you ruined it for me, so thanks a lot. Thanks for that. It doesn't ruin it. I appreciate it because I, I do think it's kind of, like, Nice to be able to imagine it for ourselves to this like moment of reunion between them because we know it's about to happen. Yeah. Like undoubtedly it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would have minded it more if it was like, oh, it might happen or they might just miss each other one more time. Right. Or something. Yeah. But at first I my first reaction was like, oh shit, I wanted to like I wanted to see that moment of recognition and like coming back yeah. together. But then I thought, would any like would it ever be would any scene really enough? live up to like yeah. the anticipation that yeah. they've both had this whole time? Like maybe it is best that we just know it's going to happen and, and I can think, imagine that ourselves. Yeah, and I think the idea is like we had to have faith in the fact that like their friendship is meaningful and that it's gonna work out the way they want it to because they both know each other. And, yeah. like, I don't know, have, like, worked so hard to get there. Um, so, like, it's it's not sort of like, oh, what's going to happen when they meet each other? Because it's like, well, they're going to be really fucking happy, you know? And, like, they're yeah. going to embrace and it's going to be, like, it's not, there's not a question. So, I don't know. It's I don't know that we need to see it to know that, like, it's going to be good. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. More of a question is, like, what the fuck do they do now? Yeah. Oh, I think now they're just, like, they're, like, cool roommates. Yeah, <laughs> now they're now, just gonna like. There's gonna be like a sitcom of them just like learning yeah. how to live in America and like 
being like, what's a cheeseburger? Oh, my gosh. Like, I've never heard of this. You know? That's going to be A banana split? What? Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about the banana split. I did think it was kind of interesting that she was, like, not – like, she was, like, kind of into the banana split. But I felt like she was like, this is too much. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Which I kind of appreciated. She was like, this is so extra. Yeah. She was like – I'll just take my fucking yogurt rice with banana thanks. This is a lot. Yeah, try this again. Is a lot. Yeah. Send it back. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was really, that was another thing, like quickly back to the sensory uh, writing, just the like way that things were described that we're so familiar with, like the description of it from the perspective of a person who doesn't even know what this is who'd never had a cherry before right or like pancakes yeah and like her saying like she pointed to the thing on the menu that looked like like three dosas but it turned out to be uh sweet (laughs) and she was like surprised yeah it's just like interesting yeah anyway back to the critiques yeah so then elizabeth (laughs) what up studio audience um (laughs) This is fun having Elizabeth as a studio audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Elizabeth actually found this art, this New York Times review. So like, I do want to shout out to her. Thanks for pointing this out. Um, and I pulled two quotes from it that I think are worth discussing that are critiques. Um, I'll read the first one. Maybe someone could read the second one. Um, this is written by um, Diksha Basu. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that name wrong, y'all. I'm trying my best here. So she says, unfortunately, from the start, the characters feel like prototypes. Sarta is exuberant and loves pairing her bland rice and yogurt with sweet bananas, while Pornima, quieter, duller, observes and envies this ability to find flavor in a flavorless world. The, meta- the metaphors are thick in this book. Their path, which takes them through other parts of South India and eventually to the United States, is related mostly through the alternating perspectives of the two girls. And, like, she's basically saying that they're kind of, like, flat characters that are easy to sum up in a few descriptive words. What do you guys think? I mean, I think we've discussed that we feel like the characters are pretty interesting and deeper than just those basic descriptors. Yes. I will say, though, right in the beginning, like, when we first learned that, like, one is named after the sun and one is named after the moon, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, yeah, but not I think, okay with it. but luckily that didn't become like a thing thing. No. And I think like this kind of, and look, I'm sure you write for New York times. You probably did your homework, but mm-hmm. this kind of reads like someone who read the first like couple of chapters. Yeah. Honestly, like, I feel like by the end, I, I felt like I knew them as separate people. I was never like, which one is this one? Like they were very distinct. Yeah. yeah. So, and okay. I never felt like they were like stereotypes or caricatures of a certain type of person they were both really strong-willed people you know so i don't think like one was like i just i feel like this idea that pornama just like observed totally ignores the fact that she like does a lot yeah she just like as we said she works differently she's more analytical but she's still like she's not just an observer she definitely like takes a lot of action Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I don't know. I felt like this was unfair. I can read the next bit. Yeah, go ahead. This is same review, yeah? Yeah, yeah, same. Okay. Still, Girls Burn Brighter feels about two decades too late. 
Literature from the subcontinent has long since moved beyond stories of snake charmers and female feticide and widow burning. Readers today expect more. Those all still exist, sometimes here, sometimes there, sometimes everywhere, but what makes India complicated and interesting, particularly for writers, is that they exist in a contemporary urbanized country and among the entanglements of an increasingly globalized world. So Elizabeth pointed out, after she pointed out this review, that uh, this, at least the beginning of this novel, which means like the rest of it isn't this, like it's still in the early 2000s, but on page 15, it states that this starts in 2001. So that is almost two decades ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Also, like, Girl needs to chill, like, snake charmers. Like, at what point was there a snake charmer in this book? Like, also, I just feel, we we keep going, like, also, also. We're just going to keep doing, like, more high-pitched with these. (laughs) Also, I just want to say. No, but, like, also, I feel like, and this is something Elizabeth and I talked about, is, like, the India that she's talking about as being, like, complicated and interesting and urbanized is, like, you're still talking about richer people than these people. Like, yeah. Well, and you're talking about bigger cities. Like, yeah. not all of it, India is going to feel globalized. Just like not every city in America feels like a, in like a global city. Right. There's still issues of poverty in India. Do not like, I understand like there's a lot of other shit happening in India as well, but like poverty is still an <laughs> issue there as it is in many countries, but like there are a lot of poor people in India and I feel like I like, and this isn't just a story like about poverty. It's a story set within poverty, but it's a story about two women like, and their friendship and their individual struggles. (laughs) And also fuck you, New York times. And also like who fucking reads the New York times anyway? No. <laughs> also, three articles a month? Are you fucking kidding me? Welcome to 2018, bitch. Yeah. You should get globalized. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I was reading a review, and of course I like closed out of it right before we started, um, but it, it, it echoed a lot of what like some people on Goodreads were saying, but I take that shit with a real grain of salt, but oh this review was like... It basically said that the sheer relentlessness of the horrible things that keep happening to them becomes boring because it just, like, never lets up and it's just a constant stream of Look, sometimes she gets to eat a banana, okay? Did you forget all those (laughs) times she got bananas? Those were good Um, times. But I never never felt like that. Me neither. But I, I guess I can see where, like, if you think it's just a... I think it's one of the things that some people don't really like about true crime either is it seems like it's just indulging in the terrible thing like over and over. But I feel like there is enough story around these horrible things that it's not just indulging in grotesque happenings, Uh, although they are quite grotesque. I feel like to some extent it's like either you enjoy reading that or you don't. You know, like, if you're one of those people that it's like, this is too much, I can't handle this, and it's making me mad that I'm reading this, like, just don't fucking read it. Well, yeah, I get that response to it, but this, the argument in this was that the repetitiveness of so much bad shit became boring, because that's all there was. Well, some people have a bunch of bad shit. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't agree with that argument because I do sometimes feel that way with true crime. Like, I'm not a true crime aficionado like some of you are. And sometimes I – while listening to it, I'm not like – I'm horrified by this. I'm mad that I'm listening to it. I'm like, okay, like, what else? What else? Yeah. You know? And I didn't ever feel that way while I was reading this. I never felt bored for a moment while reading this book. So I guess that means we should get into rating? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Well, who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is Kelly again. Hi, Kelly. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome to the pod. Welcome to me. Um, I'm going to give this a four, which is a higher rating than I've given something in a while, I think. And I really, I like this book a lot. I really, even though it was really hard to read certain parts and a lot of terrible things happened, I thought it was really, like, elegantly written and interesting, like I said. And it felt effortless in a lot of ways, even though I'm seeing all these things about it being heavy-handed. But it didn't really feel that way to me, even though some of the metaphors were pretty, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, thick as the New York Times writer put. They didn't bother me, and I felt that they worked. And I think that overall this was just like a story of the resilience of women, and I am always on board for that. Yes. So, yeah, I was into this. Solid four, I think. Susan? Hmm. Um, I mean, you know I want to give it a half rating. It's okay. But I'm going to round – I think I'm going to round down and give it a three. Um, okay. That's okay. And I I can't even really articulate why. Like, I really, really liked it. I just don't know that um, – I guess for me, like, when I rate something a four, it is, like, you know, top of mind, like, first couple of things I would recommend to someone if they asked. And I don't know that it would be, like, one of my go-tos. But I really enjoyed it. Um and I thought the audiobook was <laughs> good, too. I know you didn't like the narrator as much, Emily, but oh, I yeah, we didn't, didn't mind it. Uh, I'll talk about that. Um, yeah. I've learned I'm more forgiving of audiobook narrators than everyone else in the squad. Is, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, so I just have a lot of opinions. Yeah. I, don't know. I think, yeah, I think I just maybe didn't love it as much as some of the other things I've given a four to. But, like, overall, I I did, I think it was really well written. Um I disagree with the New York Times. And yeah. Yeah. So three, but like really in real life, like 3.5. Elizabeth, do you want to write in and tell us what you would rate this? (laughs) Probably about the same as Susan, she says. Cool. Um, And this is Emily. I'm about the same as Kelly. I think like I gave this, I already rated this on Goodreads. I gave it a four. Um, I felt like it was a pretty solid four. Like to me, um, I never, like, it was, like, a really fast-paced book for me. Like, I was able to read it real fast and not just because I was like, ooh, this is an easy read. Because it definitely wasn't. It was very, like, subject matter was difficult, but the descriptions, I thought, were really great. And it takes a lot for me to say that because I get really bored with, like, writer bullshit pretty easily. <laughs> because I think a lot of writers like to just, like, jerk off on the page and call it good writing Uh, and it drives me crazy. (laughs) Um, but like, so like, 
to me, the metaphors were fine. And again, like, I think for me, a lot of it was uh, the metaphors and the ways that things were being described were really indicative of the characters and told me a lot about the characters. And so it always felt purposeful. It never felt overdone or like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, I do want to talk about the narrator of the audiobook. I would give the narrator of the audiobook a solid two. Because <laughs> I really let me just tell you good. this. Is, I I almost said one, but I was like, you know, she pronounced things correctly, so a I'm gonna give her a two. One. I'm gonna give her a two for like helping me pronounce Indian words correctly. So thank you for that. But this is not my first time with this narrator. As I was listening, I was like, so we meet again, um, because um, I listened to. I listened to um, from Twinkle with Love, and she also narrated that. And I remember fucking hating her then because she was so fucking whiny. And the thing about from Twinkle with Love is that it's a YA book about some bitch who's trying to make a movie. And she was really fucking whiny. I'm like, God damn it. What are you so whiny about? Calm the fuck down. And like, granted, she has more of a reason to be whiny in this book than she did in from Twinkle from Twinkle with Love. But I was still like, you need a calm down. Like, I feel like I would feel more sorry for these characters if you weren't whining I hear, so much about I know it. what you're talking about. With Like, there is definitely a whiny quality to her delivery, especially, I think, in Pornima's chapters. Yeah. But, I mean, also, I guess that's how I would fucking sound if I was in that situation. So. But I think, like, you know, again, I'm like, also I've just kind of a whiny person. So, like, maybe I relate, you know? I get it. But, you know, like, I've dealt with this bitch before. This is just how she talks. Like, this is just how she narrates shit. And, like, y'all know because, it, I mean, for for those super fans out there who are listening to this, you know that last year um, when Dimple Met Rishi was in my top three best things of the year and from Twinkle With Love is from the same author. So I was, like, going into this, like, real excited, wanting to listen to it. And I was like, I feel like the narrator really fucked that book up for me. And I was not happy to hear from her again. Like, I would have been happy to never hear from her again. Just saying. But I do appreciate and thank her for um, helping me learn how to pronounce things correctly. Because that is She awesome. does do a really great job switching back and forth between yeah, accents. She does, and... she does good voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I will say, like, I'm, I'm not putting this, I'm not saying this lightly. Because some narrators pronounce things incorrectly. And it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> So, like, that's actually an accomplishment, and that's why she gets two stars from me. So, good job, girl. (laughs) Two solid stars for the narrator. All right. All right. We did it. We talked about the book. If you have any comments or questions about Girls Burn Brighter, please send us an email at thesquad at booksquadgoals.com. Yeah. All right. Yay. Thanks, guys, for listening. Be careful out there. We have some listener feedback. Thanks, guys, for the listener feedback, by the way. Thank you. Our first listener feedback is also a shout-out to my cousin Kate, who has donated generously to the Ariana Grande Fund. (laughs) I'm so excited. That's amazing. Which means it's definitely happening. So amazing. I'm so excited. PSG reunion in May. Yay, Kate. It's happening. 
Uh, and we're, we're going to get, get friendship shirts. Fr- friendship shirts. Our <laughs> friendship shirts. And we're going to pose wearing yeah. them. Yes. And that will be our new website Our new picture, website obviously. picture, yes. <laughs> Just all of us wearing Ariana Grande shirts. Please, please. <laughs> I hate the picture that's up there now, y'all. I hate Aww. it. And it's no offense to Kristen. It's my own damn fault because I didn't have a cute outfit on and I feel inadequate. Girl. But if we're beautiful. all wearing an Ariana Grande shirt, I'll feel <laughs> good. We don't have to worry about our outfits because we'll all exactly. have the same outfit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Kate, for that. I can't even begin to, like, express how kind that was of you. And also, Kate is my only family member who listens to this podcast, and therefore the only one who truly loves me. Um, so this is feedback about Little Fires Everywhere. Kate is in East Lansing, Michigan. Subject, a pro-Kelly review of Little Fires Everywhere. (laughs) She says, hi, book squad. I told my beloved Kelly, who knows how much I disliked this book, that I didn't want to share my thoughts because they would seem mean-spirited. Kelly assured me that it would not be mean-spirited, but rather pro-Kelly. So how could I say no to that? True. I mean, I say no to Kelly all the time, but, you know. (laughs) Um, Part of my frustration lies with the idea that Celeste Ng has been positioned as a rising star of literary fiction, whereas this book reads as a very middle of the road to me. Like Jodi Picoult or Leanne or Leon Moriarty. Y'all need to start dragging her. Okay. Mm-mm. I haven't read her, that. so but we we're going to apparently in the future. So anyway, parentheses. I was going to say or Nicholas Sparks, but that seemed like a low blow. On the other hand, Celeste Ng herself would probably appreciate the mention of his name since she carried the endless fire slash smoke slash spark motif right through to the last sentence of the book. Ooh, that's kind of awkward since we just read a book that did that as well. That's true. But I didn't hate this book. Um, The writing is serviceable and unremarkable. The relative ease with which Mrs. Richardson uncovered Mia's past seemed particularly simplistic. I can see how this will make a really watchable miniseries, and if Carrie Washington indeed plays Mia, I will end up actually liking that character. Yes. Having said all that, I love the podcast and even listen when you're talking about a movie or TV show I haven't seen or a book I'll never read. I'm sure that any of you could write a novel as good or better than this one, and I hope that you do, and that Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington's production companies buy the rights. Excellent. Oh my god. I hope that's the best. I hope I do too. That'd be awesome, but Yeah, we should write a we should write a book together. Let's do it. Well Kate, hang tight because I picked a Leanne Moriarty book for Sometime in 2019. Okay. I, um, like, okay. I do want to say, I really, I really resent lumping Leanne Moriarty in with the rest of these people. And to be fair, I've only read one Leanne Moriarty book. Yes. Um, and I've only Sparks. read one Leanne Moriarty book. Uh, I read um, Big Little Lies. But I just want to say that, like, Big Little Lies was so fucking good. I actually, like... And this is getting a little personal, but, like, whatever. Let's just get into this. I would say Big Little Lies for me was, like, life-changing. I read it with my husband. Um, We actually – well, we listened to it, which I've learned, and I've I've talked about this before a little bit, but, like, I've learned that, like, I'm really into Australian narrators. Like, they just kind of, like, work for me. Um, In the same way that Mary hates British narrators, I love Australian narrators. Um, (laughs) But aside from that, like – um, my husband and I listened to Big Little Lies together on a road trip, 
And it opened up a dialogue for us because I feel like Big Little Lies really um, handles domestic violence well in a very um, thoughtful and intelligent way that doesn't come off as like um, Lifetime movie original. Um, it, it rang very true for me as someone who was once a victim of domestic violence. Um, and it, and it allowed me to talk to my husband about it in a way that I hadn't before. And I used the book as a tool to say like, you know, this is what it was like for me. Um, and the fact that it was able to do that makes me a very, very, big advocate of Leanne Moriarty's work, even though I've only read the one book. Um, and I'm very excited to read more of her work because it like, I, I can say hands down that that book was like life changing for me. So y'all haters need to step the <laughs> fuck down. Cause how are you going to respond to that? I just told you a, a serious thing about myself. And so, yeah. So now you can't have a response, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Um, Elizabeth is now wearing Christmas cat ears just to sort of like lighten the situation. But you know, like, no, for real though, like I'm very open about, I know like I haven't really talked about it on the podcast before because like, I just don't give a shit about this dude anymore, but I'm very open about the fact that like I was a victim of abuse, um, in my past relationship. And I think it's important to be open about that because I think, um, too many times people just assume that like, victims of domestic violence are like dumb or like should know better or like trash. And that's just not the case. It happens to people, you know, all the time. And like the reason it happens is because of manipulation, emotional manipulation, um, emotional abuse, as well as physical abuse. And that makes the situation way more complicated than anyone who um, has, not been through that could understand. So like, don't fucking judge those people. Um, and if you do come talk to me about it, cause I will chew you the fuck out. Anyway, Leanne Moriarty, she's really fucking good. That's my point. That being said, I'm sure Kate would not think that about <laughs> victims of domestic abuse. Yeah. Um, if you, if you hate Leanne Moriarty, it means that take you hate victims of domestic fight. abuse. Oh no. God. No, I mean, like, it's fine. I'm just saying, like, I feel like Leanne Moriarty doesn't really belong in the same conversation with these other people because I do feel like her writing is better than that, period. Yeah, I can't say because I have not, again, I have not read anything by her. But, like, lucky for me, I also haven't read anything by Jodie Picoult. Well, don't. I have, however, read <laughs> Nicholas you Sparks. Do don't that. do that either. It's bad. Yeah. It, I did read. I read A Walk to Remember. It was bad. Mm, yeah. I read some other bullshit called like The Guardian or The Angel or Ooh. some. He's real. He's real bad. He's something. bad. I just burped about it's it. Really bad. <laughs> just to give you. Well, we will re- reassess Leanne Moriarty like next year because we we're going to read one of her books. Mm. But um, the point of this is to say yeah, that to um, she didn't think the writing was very good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is also what Kelly thought. Yes. I still don't know that I agree. Like, I feel, I still feel like as good as I did about the book a month ago. Yeah. I feel worse. <laughs> That's I, how I feel I, when I, I don't want to think about it. Oh, you should, you should really try her other book because I really liked it. And Kelly was like, she did try it and she fucking hated it. And I was like, well, I don't know what ah, to tell you. <laughs> see, I want to try her other one because you um, spoke so highly of it, I, but I'm already I in the middle of it. another book you told me to read. <laughs> so. 
Which one are you reading right now? Oh, you're reading the, um, the likeness kind of French yeah. one right now. I cannot wait to hear what you Yeah, I'm really loving it. Like that I'm that's Yes. I feel like it's going to be a 4, you know. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, like, so before we ever, before we read Little Fires Everywhere, Kate had told me, because she told me she read um, the first book that Celeste Ng wrote, and she was Which like, I did not everything I like never it. told you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she was like, then I, re- I saw that you guys were going to do Little Fires Everywhere, so I was like, oh, well, like, maybe she, like, her writing has gotten better or changed, so I'll read that one. She was like, I also really did not like it. And then she was like, because I told her, I asked her like, oh, what did you think? And she was like, well, I'll, you know, you guys should like do the podcast and then I'll tell you what I thought. And I was like, that means that you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so to be fair, going into reading it, I knew that someone who I generally agree with on stuff yeah. really hated it. Yeah. But I also knew that Emily really loved her first book. And yeah. Emily is also a person who I normally agree with on stuff. So I would just say, you know, like I would still suggest trying it, see what you think. You know, you might not like it, but I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I gave it five perhaps. stars. So perhaps five stars. I gave it. I'm just always apprehensive to read something by an author who's the first thing I read by them. I gave two. Oh stars yeah, I understand. I absolutely yeah. understand that. Um. Okay. So. so let's let's read another little fires everywhere. Shit a thon. All right. <laughs> Alex from New Shit. England. Shit what up? <laughs> Alex says, um, I really like the Little Fires Everywhere episode, even though it caused me to dislike the book. Your fault. Sorry. I know we're talking about Emily's friend here. Yeah, you know how Celestine and I are like BFFs. Um, even just hearing the Goodreads summary made me think, oh, maybe I don't really like this book. <laughs> and then hearing you talk about the characters made me think, wow, these characters really suck, etc. Um, I think that maybe unfairly the buzz about this book didn't help. It's not the NPR-esque literary with a capital L book like it thinks it is. It's more like Big Little Lies. Bitch, y'all need to stop getting on my Liam Moriarty, all right? Oh, the drama. Who's sleeping with whom? An abortion, you say? A child out of wedlock? Wedlock? Well, I never. Emily's best friend's work. Look, let's not call her that. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't want her people to, like, get in touch with me and be like, stop telling telling everyone we're best friends. We talked one time. She was real nice, though, okay? Um, but her, her work... Her book works better if you think of it as a brunch-level version of Needful Things. A mysterious stranger descends upon Shaker Heights, and next thing you know, she's getting kids to make a teacher piss herself in public. That was pretty great. Actually, I really liked that part. Um, I hated that part. It was so dumb. <laughs> um, I did like the reflections like, on Mother. How did she though. know that that teacher... Like, that made literally no sense. I mean, I didn't... Okay. Are we getting into this now? Hold on. Finish the, finish the letter. And yeah. Then let's I have let's two finish the letter first. I need to say. Okay. <laughs> I did like the reflections on motherhood, though. The race stuff, not so much. Too cartoony. But now I guess I feel what most women feel when reading books by male authors. Emily's Bay. What the... Okay. Emily's Bay puts <laughs> Moody, Trip, Joseph Ryan, and Mr. Richardson with a heat lamp because these fellows are half-baked. Here's my question. It comes from the Suspiria episode. We're getting a little, like, double, double episode critique here. Susan was getting ready to leave the movie when her friend, your friend, 
quote unquote. Um, he's my lover. Friend. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> when her lover is um, um, <laughs> they have sex. Okay. Um, <laughs> when her person that she loves asked, "You would leave in the middle of the movie?" and she shouted, "I've done it before. I'll do it again." I, I whispered. Which sounds whisper like whisper shouted. Oh, she said, "I've done it before. I'll do it again." Which sounds like a third tier Batman villain, the DNFer. <laughs> what movie or book do you think it's better if you DNF at the right moment? Is what he's asking. Thank you, Alex. I've been so ready to anyway. answer this since I saw it, Alex. But first, I'm going to say I'm not. Okay, the Needful Things comparison. First of all, Needful Things is a way worse book <laughs> than Little Fires Everywhere <laughs> on every level. And I love Stephen King, oh, yeah. but that is a terrible book. Okay. Anyway, but thanks for bringing it up. I do love to talk about needful <laughs> things. Okay. Um, yes. Another thing that is better if you DNF it at the right moment. And this is not a book or a movie like you asked for. It is a TV show. It's Dexter. If oh, you DNF that. Dexter yeah. after season four, you had a pretty solid series finale. If you watch the mm-hmm. next four seasons, you fucked. So I tell people now, if they're like, I think I'm going to watch Dexter. I'm like, cool that's fun binge the first four seasons and stop and don't even read about anything else that happened just fucking quit four seasons i really can't dnf things like okay i can dnf books but if i dnf books it's because like it wasn't good at all and i shouldn't have started it so that doesn't really count and as far as like movies and tv shows i really have a hard time dnfing like kelly and i watched that really fucking terrible movie and i was like Kelly was like, this is bad. And I was like, we're going to watch the whole fucking thing. <laughs> what was it called? I don't even remember but anymore. If you, Hold now on, that I'm you have seen the whole thing, it? could you Topher Grace. Could you see Topher where there Grace. would be a, a place you could DNF no. it and it'd be better? If no. we, at the beginning. If we okay. had DNF'd it at the beginning. Because I didn't. Before anything happened. <laughs> I did obviously finish Dexter. Like, I had put a lot of time in it and I had to finish it. But I'm saying, in hindsight... That's how what you should this? do it. I can't even. I'm looking at Topher Grace's like credit. It was like a one still, word title. I, you've talked about this Delirium, on the podcast before. Delirium. Yeah. That that Delirium. movie was so bad. That okay. So Delirium would have been better if we DNF'd it before we decided to watch it. Yes. But because we started, we finished. There are a lot of TV shows that are better when DNF'd. I think True Blood falls into this category. Oh yeah. I think Gossip Girl falls into this category. Uh, yeah. Um, I think even the OC falls into this category. I think honestly. maybe some Judd Apatow movies might fall into this category. Yeah, perhaps. Um, a lot of them seem to take a turn for like the last thirty minutes and go somewhere yeah. new and not good. <laughs> and it's like yeah, oh, just like thirty minutes like, ago you could have stopped, but somewhere a little yeah. bit too like the moral of the story is, mm-hmm. etc. Anyway, good um, question. Definitely Dexter. If you're listening yeah. to this and you think, I need a random TV show to binge watch, you go four seasons and you stop. Stop it. I would not be able to stop. Four seasons. I watched all of Gossip Girl and I hated myself the whole time. I watched all of Gossip Girl like during grad school. That's going to be me when Riverdale ends. I'm going to be like, why did I... Why did I watch? Oh, I so did. Much of this? Look, I did DNF Riverdale. Okay, Riverdale, DNF yeah. it after the first season. You're good. I DNF Don't Grey's even Anatomy. get into that second season. Oh, I did DNF Grey's Anatomy too because I was like, this is just terrible. Isn't that shit still yeah. on? I cannot. 
It was genuinely everyone, good. Isn't beginning. everyone dead but now? It like, hasn't been for a very long now. time. Not yeah. Meredith. <laughs> well, one would hope. I don't know. Maybe Meredith. As dead long now. as Gray is well, still. Well, speaking around. of things that aren't Yo, good, is Meredith dead? Write in. Let us know. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about Suspiria. Yeah, we, we, we got some that. Suspiria feedback, and this is in defense of Suspiria, which I think we needed this viewpoint because we weren't doing a lot of defending it. Um, Unfortunately, it comes from a man, which is not what I wanted. Stop it. Okay. (laughs) So this is from Matthew in New Orleans. Um, uh, Matthew, I'm paring this down a bit because he wrote like a film essay on this, which is awesome. But also, I don't know that you you should have done that back when I asked you to write a blog post for us, Matthew. Oh, actually, well, I was going to tell you this after this. This is why I brought up that he wrote a film essay because he is going to do an Oscars post for us. So anyway, more so than the original picture, Guadagnino's take on the narrative on the narrative enforces the idea of reality being altered by the movements of women. Early in the film, Susie's dance that cripples Olga, her failed predecessor, cannot be any more literal in positioning that a woman's ability to express herself through movement is great enough to alter reality. The same can be said for the Volk sequence toward the end in which spirits are summoned. Framing this in the context of the Cold War and West German politics suggests that in a world where men are essentially having a measuring contest for the fate of humanity, women are the ones, quietly in this scenario, enacting change upon the course of history. Disorder as it is known can no longer be. Radical upheaval is the only answer, an answer seen in the form of the Bader-Meinhof hostage crisis and the summoning of an eternal demon, the latter of which proves to be more effective. In regards to the film's technical dimensions, Guadagnino's camera paid wonderful homage to Argento's original picture without copying out through duplication. Quick zooms and almost restless movements add to the uneasiness of the viewer. Doing so prevents the audience from ever settling in. Rain drenched and gray, the splashes of red via blood and dance costuming shock the viewer's eye much in the way that modern dance, the film's vehicle for witchcraft, often does. We know the movements capable of the body, and yet when choreographed in certain patterns, it all becomes uncanny. This is furthered by the use of Tom York's score. The Radiohead frontman reluctantly supplies his first work for film, and the result is an experience that enhances the feeling that something is off. Much like Radiohead's most recent album, A Moon-Shaped Pool, York's score is not unlike a lullaby, especially on the tracks in which he provides vocals. The viewer is tricked into thinking that everything is okay, but not without an indication that terror lies under the surface. With synth drones and piano chords that resemble the footsteps of wickedness to come, the dissonance created by hearing York and seeing Guadagnino is what horror films should aspire to be. That is, something greater than just a scare, a peek into the evil that permeates our world and therefore ourselves. I feel like I appreciate what you're saying, Matthew, but I also feel that everything you described is something that Hereditary did and Suspiria did not do. Yeah. Especially in regards to the music. And, like, all respect to Tom York, obviously. Yeah, do not, because I will come for you. Totes. But, Tom York like, is the, best. the music in the movie did not particularly stand out to me as anything more remarkable than what I heard in the trailer. Also, you, you know? still didn't describe why we have three Tilda <laughs> Swinton. I don't like, think why? anyone can answer that, though, you know? Like, it just, why? 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 I mean, I, I appreciate the take that um, the women taking control quietly and in a different way while men are, you know, doing a war 
is interesting. <laughs> Win a war. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, sure. Matthew is someone I really like talking to about movies because I feel like he is a lot more perceptive of just, like, stuff in this genre than I am. So he's real pumped about this Oscars thing. We'll see if he actually does it. Yeah, we'll see if you actually do it, Matthew, because you were going to write something about Phantom Thread for us, and we never fucking got it. And I would have loved it, because I loved Phantom Thread. Me too. He seems very excited. So all the shit. Um, but we'll see. You seem Matthew, excited about I Phantom Thread I think they Thread are challenging also. you, so I guess. Yeah, we will, let's see. So we're going to leave this in the episode, because, like, for real, we're shaming <laughs> you for not writing your Phantom Thread post, okay? I'm not. I didn't um, know that was a of, thing that was going to happen, so... Yeah, it was. It was going to happen. Leave me out. So, like, what what is on the blog? Speaking of the blog. Speaking of. Speaking of the we blog. We got Riverdale. We got Speaking Riverdale. Of Riverdale. Just assume Riverdale's always on the blog. We don't even need to talk about it. Oh, my God, Susan. Susan back off. Remember, remember how we did that f- for the holidays thing? No. Well, we how'd that, sucked how'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> how'd that go? Did we get – are we hot? Are we hotter? Spoiler alert, though. We are still – really hot but we are hot just, but maybe not hotter than before y- no like, not i'm definitely not any same. hotter than i was three weeks ago that's for damn sure <laughs> same level of hotness but we're gonna talk about our our experience doing crystal from the bachelor's fit for the holidays plan it's gonna be on the blog by the time you read do you listen to this you're not reading this you're listening sorry um, also, apparently, Mary and I are still going to write a blog post about Children of Blood and Bone. It's a really fucking long book, guys. We're trying. <laughs> We're just failing at everything right now, okay? That's the moral of this story. The moral um, of the story is that it's the end of the year, and the blog posts are <laughs> in a little slower than Everyone's a little normal. busy. Yeah. We're a little busy. But We're a little lazy. You know what? You're a little tired. We're trying. I will be posting about... The film, the wonderful film Elf. Yes. Um, which I haven't seen a lot of people on Twitter bashing lately, because apparently now it's cool to hate Elf. <laughs> yeah, you should talk to Ben about that, because Ben hates yeah. Elf. You know what, Ben? Yeah. You're wrong. Yeah. I don't like when people bash Love, more- actually, because I still think it's super fucking delightful, so. I mean, it's fun to watch. It's bad, but it's fun to watch. Still think it's delightful. Real fast. Hey. Christmas happened. You probably didn't get everything you wanted. But you know what you did want? You wanted books. Books that you'll like. And that's why you should subscribe to MyTBR. Just go to MyTBR.co, fill out a little survey, and you can, for $15 a quarter, get three personalized recommendations with a cute little letter delivered right to your email. For $75 a quarter, you can get three beautiful new hardcover books and a letter personally selected for you based on your requests sent to you. And it's like having Santa Claus come to you every quarter. Trust me because I do it myself. I get it every quarter. I love it. It's my favorite thing I get in the mail. I also full disclosure work for them. Um, So you might get me. As your recommender, and then we can write letters to each other, and it'll be great. And we'll be like pen pals, where I just send you shit, and it's great. It's <laughs> and amazing. you never write. So back. sign up. No, I do write back. No, no, no. Sign up. Your pen pals, where you send them oh. shit, and they never write back. 
Oh, no. You can. Oh, so you can. Like, after I send you shit, you can give me feedback and let me know what you thought. And it, that's my favorite part is, like, reading, like, what you think about the books I sent you. So No, your favorite part is telling people what to read. Be yeah. real, Emily. <laughs> but you should sign up. MyTBR.co. It's awesome. Cool. Next time on the podcast, we will be talking about the miniseries, My Brilliant Friend, Friend. Uh, which is on HBO. You can watch it. I think all the episodes are out at this point. Yeah, yes. they definitely are because this episode isn't coming out until the 31st. So binge so, yes. it. Listen to it. I mean, binge it. Watch it. It's not super long. Uh, yeah. And then read the book if you want. We will be maybe mentioning the book a little bit. Both Susan and I have read it, but we'll be mostly Mary talking about it. Mary and I haven't read it, so if you Mary aren't and reading the book, it. you can still hang so, with us. It's cool. Yeah, and then our next yeah. book episode is Mary's pick. It is The Power. The Power by, by, hold on, I have it right here, Naomi Alderman. Naomi Alderman. And speaking of, like, women kicking bus, bus, speaking about women kicking butt, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Bucks. Bucks. <laughs> All right, let me try this again. Speaking about, speaking of women kicking butt, this is a book in which suddenly teenage girls have magical powers to fucking like kick asses and kill people, and it's awesome. I hear. Um, we've heard really good things about it, so we're excited about reading it. Um, yeah. It. I don't know that any of us have started it yet. Mm, no. Not. um so yeah thank you guys for listening i know that we have perhaps some new listeners um if you're a new listener or even if you're not a new listener and you've just been listening every week but just like downloading it you know you can subscribe yeah why would you do that that's silly yeah you can also and this would be so helpful if you want to do some good this christmas this holiday season please leave us a review on apple podcasts and a rating. Five stars only. Just kidding. You can rate us lower than that if you think we deserve it. But, like, honestly, why even bother if you're not going to give us five stars? Please give us a rating and a review. It really helps people find us. And we want more people like you to find us. And you can find us on social media at Book Squad Goals on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And you can write us an email, like I said before, at thesquad at booksquadgoals.com or hit us up on any of those social medias. And you can go to our website which is bookswagals.com and read all of our blog posts and look at our old episodes and see pictures of our cute faces and our cute pets. Yeah, especially the pets. This is the final episode of this year. Thank you for spending this year with us. It was happy shitty. New year. Sorry. Oh, well, yeah, I know. But, like, Happy New Year because 2019 year. is going to be Sorry, better. My dogs are, like, running around shaking off and, like, making cool. yawning noises. Like, wow. That's, That's how Mabel always yawns. accepted. Sorry if you heard that. Wow. <laughs> she would like to close out the year with a wow. Wow. Well, that's happy that. New year. Happy fucking New Year. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year.